people. Hello, hello. Hello. Kate and Kim, I heard you got to chat with the founders of Thriving University. Yes, we did. We heard from Dr. Joelle Hood, Janine Antonelli, and Jessica Fuller as they spoke on trauma and building community in the classroom. It was at a recent staff development day, and we were so eager to hear more about this topic. They were so kind to give us all of their time and expertise, especially when the work they're doing right now is in such high demand, especially as we return to school buildings in the midst of this pandemic. And listeners, you might remember when we interviewed Jesse Fuller in an earlier episode because she was selected as Educator of the Year by the California League of School. And if you didn't catch that episode, you can check it out in our first season. It was actually our second episode ever that we recorded called Building Community and Student Voice in the Classroom. And she was fantastic. And I was so bummed to miss this interview in person, but I am excited to hear what the three J's Joelle, Janine, and Jesse have to say about trauma-informed practices. Then let's get to it. Hello, thank you so much for joining us. And will you tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and your experience? I'm Jesse Fuller. I have been a teacher for the past 18 years. I also get to be a coach with Thriving University um, part-time, so it's been a pleasure to get to do both. Hi, I'm Janine, and I've been in education for almost 30 years. I'm the old dog here. I was a traditional high school teacher and then an administrator in alt-ed for a long time. And my name is uh, Joelle Hood. And um, similar to Janine and and to Jesse too, actually, I guess um, I was a teacher for 13 years, taught English and history and every elective because they knew I would not say no. And uh, then I was an assistant principal for five years at a very large alternative education site. We had about 300 students plus independent study plus um, cosmetology, ROP plus adult ed. It was a village, loved it. And then was a principal for Riverside County Office of Education, where I served as a principal for students who had been expelled from their districts, including Corona Norco, was in my my little group, loved serving those students who'd either been expelled, were on probation or under court-appointed group home placement. And then um, about three years ago, we started this company called Thriving University. And um, we love it. We love that all our names start with J, Joelle, Jesse, Janine. We're all married to men whose names start with J, Joe, Jake, and Jason. And we all have the same middle name, Marie. And we all love teaching and reading and researching. So here we are. That's when it's like truly meant to be. There's too many coincidences for it, for it not to be meant to be, right? Can you tell us a little bit about what is trauma and how does trauma affect our schools and our classrooms? The best definition that I, I like is... Trauma is a response to an event. So it's not actually an event that happens. It's how we respond to it. And if we think about one of the, um, one of the adverse childhood experiences, uh, divorce in a family, you might have three kids in the family who are all going to process that in a different way. One kid might feel relieved that a parent is no longer in the home and one might be completely devastated. So it's really how you respond to that event that you're experiencing and how it shows up in the classroom. Well, teachers, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen, I'm sure you've seen a lot of it um, with the impact on learning. You'll see delayed processing, um, some or, uh, unorganization. Kids can't stay on top of what they're trying to do. So it impacts their learning for sure. 
then I think what we see a lot of is the behavior, getting up, getting down, an inability to focus, um, difficulty processing social clues, speaking out, doing things like that. We see it affect our re- relationships in, in school, relationships with their peers, relationships with um, teachers and administration, males versus females, um, depending on the event that they have responded to. No, I, I think you hit it right on the head. And I think that we can't assume that just because somebody's experienced an event that they have experienced trauma. Because as Jenny pointed out, it's our response to that event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Social media being also uh, impactful and, and with COVID. Some people have found relief with COVID being home and not dealing with social anxiety. And what am I going to wear? And do I have to see that kid or that teacher again? Um, and some have abusive homes and they can't, they, they want to go back to school. And so, you know, COVID has played a big part in in our response to as a traumatic event to to all of us i think so you listed a couple of those characteristics of how students respond when they are respond or they're experiencing that response to trauma what might be some ways that teachers can support our students because i feel in a lot of those situations the common response from the teacher right is to send out to punish it's disruptive right but what what else can we do to really support our kiddos i i think that We need to be cognizant of our own presence. So this would be for parents or for teachers. How we show up matters. When a student is or a child is dysregulated, um, a dysregulated adult will never regulate that child. And so one of the things that we we stress, first of all, is just the adult presence and co-regulation. We think of it like a dance, right? Co- coercive regulation is a tug of war. I want you to do this. I don't want to do this. Co-regulation is like a dance. If you think of an infant, when an infant is crying and you pick up that baby and you're patting it and you're cooing and you're making these soft sounds and your heartbeat is calm, you co-regulate that baby, right? In the same way, um, with a high school student, you don't need to necessarily coo them and you know pat them on the back, but you can, with your tone of voice, with your calm presence, co-regulate them even when they're being dysregulated. I think the mistake we make is getting caught up in the chaos and, and joining that dysregulation by raising our voice and, and yelling and shouting and doing all of those things. The research is, is pretty clear. We're... Um, you know, that there's three things that the brain really hates, and that is chronic unpredictability, isolation, and physical and emotional restraint, pretty much everything we've been dealing with the last year and a half. And so ways that that teachers and parents can, can help is by doing the opposite of those things. So because our brain hates chronic unpredictability, the more that we can build predictability with flexibility, but predictability into their lives, the better. So First of all, the best way we can be predictable is like I was just saying, how we show up, right? If we, if, if a kid knows that we're always calm and consistent, that's the best predictability. And then after us, which is why I'm going to interrupt myself, which is why we have to take really good care of ourselves. So that's super important. The second way to build predictability is through structures and, and spaces. So at home, that might look like, you know, a daily schedule of, chores to do, or what are you going to, you know, how are you going to spend your time at school? That might be, 
you know, I taught secondary. So I had the agenda on my board for every period. Period one's doing this, period two. So a kid walking into my class knew immediately what was going to happen. And just that can kind of lower that anxiety. Having rituals like a morning meeting, maybe at the elementary level or circles or check-ins at the you know secondary level or ele- actually all levels, those can be predictable factors. And then because our brain hates isolation, we need to build in time to build relationships, not just at the first week of school, but the entire year of school. We can't, it's like a marriage. You don't just say, I love you once on your wedding day and you're good to go for the rest of the marriage, right? You have to keep working at it. And it's the same idea with our relationships in school. And then the third piece is really because we've had so much physical and emotional restraint, all these things that we can't do or that we have to do, wherever we can give kids choices is huge. And that might be, you know, a choice in how, whether you work alone or with a partner or a choice in doing, you know, these math problems or these math problems or any, any, anywhere you can give choice, I think is really important. We know, right. We know an education relationships are important, but what trauma does or, or, or how it can impact us is it, it, it can make us fundamentally distrustful of our environment, right? The world has been an unpredictable, dangerous place. Some adults have been unpredictable and dangerous. And so you might use all the same things that work for a lot of kids. And you're like, like, I remember when I first transferred to my site, I went into to my principal at the time and I said, and this was like year nine, I was like, I have never felt so relationally ineffective in my whole life. Like, I'm like, I'm standing at the door, you know, I'm giving the, I'm giving the fist pumps. I'm, I'm saying hello. And some kids are walking right by me as if they don't even see me. Right. So at that point I'm thinking, Psh, this kid doesn't want a relationship with me, right? Like that's my own internal dialogue, right? So real, real easy to keep my calm in a, in a really calm situation, right? But so I think uh, actually shout out to a wonderful counselor in our district, Sarah Gonzalez over at Roosevelt. What she reminded me is, Jesse, there are always, um, there's always going to be a forward and backward in the road to healing. So you might have one step forward. You, you have a little crack, a good conversation with a kiddo. Next day, they act like they don't know you. Three steps back, right? Two steps forward, right? You, you have like, a, again, a nice conversation. Then maybe something happens in class, right? And they're, they're not on task or whatever it is. And so I just always have to remind myself, the kids and the adults who need the most love will ask for it in the most unloving of ways, right? They're very, they hurt people, hurt people. So I'm going to hurt you before you can hurt me. Right. I'm going to put up those barriers so that that consistent presence, I would say, and keep pressing in. I have to always remind myself it's pressing in. It's a journey. Right. It's a journey. And so just to, to continue in the moment where we feel like this stuff's not working. Right. <laughs> is the moment actually to push push forward. So as we're recording this, it is back to school season. We've been back a couple of weeks. LA Unified went back this week and there are still some schools starting, you know, all the way through August and even into September. And your and Thriving University has been speaking what all over the state, all over the country, or sharing such valuable um advice and information for our teachers. And you already talked about this a little bit before, but what should we be aware of as we start this new school year, especially being in a pandemic? And then, of course, as you've already mentioned, what do we want to be sure to continue to do all year long? So I think the good news is it's really just 
connecting and validating the things that we know to be good and true about education, right? We know rituals and routines are really wonderful under any circumstance. But I think during a time where so many things are uncertain in our external environment, right outside of school, really creating that cons- those consistent procedures, um, being really clear what our expectations are, really clear and how, you know, uh, consistent in how we show up, I think is very important being intentional about about not only building relationships between educator and student, but being deliberate about building in time and space for structures for students to connect with each other, right? The one thing that can be hard right now, especially since our kids have been separated from one another, is there is a lot of social anxiety. You know, my students are like, yeah, Fuller, it's weird to like be talking to people again. In fact, I had one young lady because we were doing like a little, just a partner activity. And she told me afterwards, she was like, at first I was really nervous, but I'm really glad like I talked to somebody. And then she told me like a little similarity she found with this person, but it's like the field of dreams. You know, if, if you build it, they will come. It's kind of like, if you create spaces for connection to happen, it will, it, they, it will happen, right? It, it will be fostered. So I think being really um, deliberate and intentional as Joel mentioned, and not just, I, I know I go like really hardcore, like the first two weeks, I'm like, yeah, we're building our community, you know? And then I'm like, okay, but now I need my content. And just realizing that it's kind of like when my, my husband doesn't take me on one date for the year, right? It's like, you got to invest in the relationship, babe. Like you got to continue. And and, continue, and, I, and I notice it. I notice it because we've all been there. As teachers, like you're in a few, like a month or two and you're like, Ah, it kind of feels like we're disengaged. It kind of feels like there's a lot of, lot more behaviors happening. And I'm like, oh, we need to tend to our community a little bit. So being intentional about fostering, yes, relationships between teacher and student, but really student to student. And I would just add one thing because what I, I, I know it's like teachers are feeling so overwhelmed right now. Like so much is being asked of us. I always remember it's from a great book, um, Fostering Resilient Learner Strategies for a Trauma-Sensitive Classroom from Kristen Sowers, the school psych. She says, says, can we be safe enough? You don't have to be everything to every child, but can we be safe enough? Can we be consistent enough, predictable enough, knowing that there are a lot of adults on campus they may connect with? Like at our site, some are really close with our security guard or, you know, our school clerk. And so knowing that there are other adults on campus who are also fostering this. So can we be safe enough? And that helps me to like keep perspective when I start to feel like there's so many needs to meet in the classroom. That was beautiful, yeah, Jess. you added that. I want to um, just add something too that something to think about for this next year. Kids, and adults haven't had to have much social interaction in person for the last year and a half. And so um, when we are building that in, making that part of the ritual that lasts all year. So if that means I'm doing a check-in every morning that or each period, that's how I'm going to start my day, or I'm going to do, make sure that I do an exit ticket as they're leaving so that they, I know how they are, but building that in throughout the year so they can, um, regain that confidence. You know, I'm, I've seen some kids who are like, I don't want to talk to people. I haven't had to do that in a year and I don't want to do that again. So just building that up and not giving up on, on what you're trying. Cause it is 180 days. You do it once and it bombs. You don't, you don't go to Domino's for your first time of pizza and then never eat pizza again. Cause it's really not that great. Right. <laughs> you got, you got to keep, you got to find the right way the right thing and what works with with you but not to give up because it, tr- it truly is a practice it's a practice if you're going to get it through the 180 days i want to return to uh, uh, to what kim was talking about what are some common misconceptions about trauma and like what do people assume trauma is one of the biggest misconceptions is that it is an event 
And if, if, if a person experiences event, they therefore must have experienced trauma when we're finding, no, it is really the response to an event. I think the misconceptions are that trauma is destiny and that if you have experienced trauma, then that's your pain forever. But there's been a lot of research. Um, we all know about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. There's also been a lot of research recently about post-traumatic growth um, with the right strategies, with the right practices, with the right intentions and effort that people really can overcome their trauma with post-traumatic growth in how they approach it, which is what uh, we want for kids and the adults who serve them. So I think we tend to view things from a deficit approach in education. Um, we're, we're looking at what's wrong with kids, what's wrong with staff, what's wrong with parents, you know, what's wrong. And really we can shift that thinking to focus on what's strong with them and figure out how to then continue building those um, skills. And, and just on that note too, as I say that out loud, when we see behaviors in class and we think, oh, those are, you know, totally inappropriate behaviors. Well, those same behaviors may have been what kept them alive or kept them going through their trauma, um, their experience with trauma. And so rather than just shut that down, let's look at those behaviors and say, okay, yes, maybe this isn't appropriate for school, but this strength you're using to do this behavior, let's use, let's switch it up and use it in a more positive way and, and acknowledge the strengths and skills that they have. And, and redirect them, if that makes sense. If I could add my own perspective to that too, I feel like the response to trauma is irregular as well. Um, I know my, my daughter suffers from some very intense anxiety. I, I think because of a response to a traumatic event, although if you look at like her, her profile, she never really experienced one, but she responded to something uh, in a way that caused that, right? And so I think too, like, when we only assess students based on, you know, the box, right? You know, are their parents divorced? No. Do, you know, we sometimes outcast our kids like there's nothing. She's just disruptive, right? And so I think that there are underlying components to the response to trauma as well that we don't always pay very close attention to because we have so many millions of things going on, right? But for me, like, I always think too, like, I, I'm reminded, like, the response is irregular. Not everyone responds in the exact same way to, to anything, right? And I think, Joy, you mentioned that in the beginning as well. So I think that's such an important reminder too when we, we're looking at our kiddos that they may not they may not check all the boxes, right? They may not fit all of the, the indicators, um, but their response in there, who they are is very real and they're not broken. Like, I don't need anyone to fix my daughter right. because she's not broken. I want to, well, I have, oh. sorry, my, my daughter's 20 now and I, I wish somebody could fix her. She, she also has, you know, I think, I think the teen and youth anxiety is its own pandemic. I mean, everywhere I go, everyone I talk to, my kid is suffering from anxiety and, um, I love that you bring up Kimberly. It's not a box you check. She's not the kid in the back with the hoodie on, you know, scrunched down. She was, she's a song leader. She's um, she has learned to fake her way through everything with her energy. And it has completely depleted her. She's exhausted because it's, it's been a front. And so when we did a 504 for her, None of the teachers wanted to, oh, no, no, no. She's such a sweet, yeah, she is a sweet girl. She's, she's, she talks, you know, but she's not functioning. She's not organizing her work, like all, all the things that we could see at home. And so you got to read between 
what the kids are showing you. And, and we all show our, our, we respond differently, how we respond in school. And, and some of us, um, you know, show it differently. And I, I really, res- I, I really appreciate you bringing that check the box because it, it isn't a check the box. It isn't the, you know, those adverse childhood experiences and, and we're trying to piece together what happened, you know, what, what did she experience that has caused such fear for her? And, you know, haven't figured it out yet. And one of the things I wanted to add too, based on um, what you said is that, you know, the news, right. Um, Kids today. I mean, I was exposed to news on, you know, a few channels when I was growing up. Um, kids can't really escape the news. And even, you know, seeing the events about, you know, school shootings, about, you know, just violence, random things that are that are yeah. happening in the world, right? Those lead to anxiety. So even if you didn't experience that event yourself, you were not at the event, hearing about that event is still, you can experience trauma because it's your response to that event, even if you weren't physically there, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of our kids, I think that may be one of the reasons why so many young kids as, as young as seven and eight are being diagnosed with anxiety and depression, and then definitely going into the teen years as well. And then that depression is showing up as bipolarity, ADHD, all, all these other things that they're not sure what's happening. So it's, it's, a scary time, I think. Where can listeners go to learn more about how they can support their students? And I mean, where do teachers go? Where do families go? Where do we go to, because we're all in this to support our kids. So where where do we go for resources? Kimberly, I'd like to give you Jesse's phone number. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> listeners, write this down. Right. <laughs> well, if you are a CNUSD uh, employee, I mean, Jesse does have a lot of resources. Um, resources we have, uh, are on our webpage. We've got a lot of great free stuff to give out. We have an ebook, um, and we also have it in Spanish, um, which does a lot of uh, the belonging exercises and ways to stay connected. We have our Facebook that people can join. We have over, I don't know, 2,500 altogether educators and leaders, which is just a vast, we're constantly posting articles, but then teachers are responding with their own articles and stuff. I mean, it's just a hub of information Um, and anyone is welcome to join a parent. It's, you know, anybody can join. We also have a Facebook group because I know there's parents listening called Becoming Better Humans. And um, the focus on that in that group is really well-being and resilience and the science of happiness. But we post a lot of parenting articles related to social anxiety and different things like that in there. So uh, we can give you those links that you can attach and, and they can look into those as well. I would also add too, as a parent is just knowing what does your district offer as far as, um, you know, is there a wellness center on your school at your school campus or a, a, I know you guys have a, a virtual calming room. Like where, where are there things within your district that they can, I don't have that information, <laughs> but as a parent, I would want to know like what, 
what does my site offer? I would just say you're totally on track. The Parent Center, I think, is doing a phenomenal job this year of really trying to um, address concerns related to um, mental health and just overall wellness right now. They have a a ton of different um, resources and also classes, so things online, but things that they're doing um, like on Zoom that people can tune into. So um, I know you can access that from obviously our CNUSD webpage. And so that's just something um, to also consider. What is one thing you wish all teachers knew or kept in mind when dealing with a student who may be reacting due to trauma? To get curious, not furious. A lot of times when kids or our colleagues or our family members are acting out, um, we think they're doing it deliberately to us, but it could be that they are not trying to give us a hard time. They're just having a hard time. And so if we can get curious about you know, what might be going on rather than jumping to you're being disrespectful. That's not how you talk to me, get out um, type of behavior. And that leads right into the next uh, strategy that we love called Q-tip, quit taking it personally. Jesse talked uh, this morning or earlier about how, you know, it was like a um, two steps forward, three steps back, or, you know, it was like the, the student cha-cha, right? You know, I've experienced that too. When, when I thought I had a great relationship with a student and then the next day they were, you know, F you or ignored me or whatever it was. And, you know, it's hard. I'm, I'm saying Q-tip like it's easy. It is not. It is hard not to take things personally, especially when you've invested time and energy and emotion into, you know, cultivating a relationship. But if we can just remember that, you know, students who've experienced trauma have difficulty trusting and they, they pull away before you, they want to push you away before you pull away. And so the more we cannot take it personally, and then I would really emphasize self-care and, and really becoming reflective about your own practices, you know, asking yourself questions like, what do I do when I get stressed out? Is there something I can do right here in my classroom? Can I take three deep breaths? Can I look at something in the room that's going to remind me of something better? Like, what are my strategies to go to when I get triggered? Because you are going to get triggered. That's going to happen. And so just kind of plotting that out ahead of time and practicing the art of reflect. I mean, we like to say at Thriving, um, if you want to get more effective, you got to get more reflective. And I I can't emphasize that enough of how much we need to just reflect, wow, why am I stressed? Oh, you know what? I've only been getting four hours of sleep. Maybe I should, you know, sleep better. And, And again, just preparing ourselves to be the best possible human we can be when we're, you know, at work and working with kids. Grace, grace and grace for yourself. I think this year, a lot of teachers are feeling things that they have never felt before. And I think there's almost guilt associated with it. Like, like I never, I've never felt this way about teaching. Like I'm, I've, I've always, I've always enjoyed my job. I've liked it, and and I think we're we're, we're struggling with feelings that we're not even used to. And so, just as we want to validate the feelings that students are having, like it's okay to just validate what you're feeling too. Like you know what, I am feeling frustrated. I'm feeling ineffective, and I like, and I don't know what to do. You know, like just to validate that, I think just honoring that and giving space. You know, we talk about the name entertainment, just. Cause I, I always say like, I, my way of dealing with emotions that I perceived as uncomfortable were always like, oh, well, I'll tuck them in a folder to deal with never. Right. Like that was always my way of dealing very, you know, emotionally competent here. Um, but realizing just giving space to that and just, okay. Honoring that, or even expressing that to, to somebody, you know, a colleague or somebody that you trust or a friend. But I think just, just 
validating how we feel um, is, is, is really big right now and giving ourselves that grace and know that you're not alone. You are not alone. I promise you. I think the biggest lie our brain can tell us is you're the only one who feels this way and, and, and you're not, and we're in this together. And so um, you're, you're okay. You're okay. And you are, you're, but just by showing up and trying to do your best, like you're, you're doing enough. You're doing enough. I think there's a lot of people who are listening right now who uh, are appreciating what you're saying. And it sounds like you're talking right to them. So thank you for that. What advice can you offer to teachers or families to try tomorrow, to try this week and to try this month? I would say we love the check-in. Check-in's a good one for yourself, for your family. You know, every night we do a pit and cherry around my table. Um, and sometimes my kids might just say, I had nothing but pits, you know, <laughs> like I'll, I'll be like, and that, that's okay too. We try to say like, all right. I mean, we try to, we try to encourage the gratitude piece, but something really simple. I think just encouraging one that um, space, like you care about how your kiddo's feeling. Right. Um, especially, and it's always hard. I feel like it's hard. How was your day? Good, good. You know, I was getting that already at like kindergarten with my kids. Um, and I think it's really good as, as adults to be vulnerable. Like this was, this is kind of what's my pit today. And here's my cherry. So just to model that, I think is really, there's so much value in self-awareness, not only for um, like just developing that skill in kids and giving them emotional literacy, but a connection, right? It's a, it creates such deepening of relationships, whether in a classroom or you're on a dinner table, you know, on a drive somewhere. Take it small, take it slow. You know, if you're going to start journaling or you're going to start a gratitude or you're going to start meditating and, you know, breathing, you know, look at that day and say, you know what, today I'm going to try something for two minutes. It's the only time I have that's all. And that's good. That's okay. And you do it once a week, maybe. And then maybe the next, you know, you try it twice and maybe it's three minutes, but I think we go into things with, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to meditate in my car before I go in my classroom. And I'm going to, you know, we, we take on so much that we want to do and change and, and we, we overwhelm ourselves instead of taking just little, little pieces. And then when it doesn't work, you go back and try again. Like Jesse said, you give yourself grace, you get back on and you try it again and you just keep practicing. And, and the other thing I'd like Jesse and I had a great opportunity to work with a young gal. She was part of a focus group on how students were feeling and processing. And, and there is such a stigma with the kids with um, with mental illness, and they they still don't know what to do and where to go. And and I think the adults are experiencing that as well. And we just need to make it okay. It's all okay to be feeling the way you're feeling. It's so simple to have a broken toe or a broken arm. We fix it. We wait. We write it out. And mental struggles just appear in so many fashions. And and we don't always know what to do. And there is such a stigma. Talk with your kids, your your own family, your own students. Be okay to talk about emotions. Be okay to talk about feelings. You know, continue the awesome work that everyone is doing. It's all okay to be feeling the way you're feeling. Just piggybacking kind of what Jesse said and what Janine said at the beginning, and that is um, acknowledging the wins. You know, Janine was saying, start small. Jesse was saying, give yourself grace. And I would say, yes, at the end of each day, whether it's you text, you know, a friend, you email yourself, you write it in, I write it in my planner. My, my planner says, you know, what were three wins today? It's so easy to focus on all of the things that we did not get done on our to-do list or that we wanted to show up this way. And maybe we didn't, um, but just 
even the little wins, just acknowledging each day so that at the end of the week, you can look back and you go, hey, you know, I really did do some great things this week, acknowledging those those little success stories. Sure. I loved all those takeaways. I was just processing like, what was my win today? Cause I just wanted to go to bed and be like, I had a horrible day and I'm tired, but I'm, you know, I'm going to go to bed with, you know, this was my win today. So I appreciate that. And I'm sure all of our listeners out there will as well. And um, it was so lovely talking to all three of you and hearing more about your company, Thriving University. And we appreciate you. And I think for, for me and for Kate, I think I'll, I'll speak for both of us is like so much of this, like we just needed to hear today because it is, it's tough out there. But you know what? We're going to be okay. So are the kids. Thank for you. having us on, but for everything that you do to make this podcast happen, um, just in, that, you, that you've continued it on. It's just a really cool space that you've created. Um, and just, I know you have such full plates and you still stay committed to this. So just, yes, from us as guests, but as from the district, just thank you. It is so important to hear this right now. You know, I think we all really need to check in on each other more often. And we also need to reflect on our own wins. You know, that is something um, that I've definitely implemented right away since our chat with Thrive University. Um, Today, my win was that I got my 14-year-old son to make us all dinner. And my 11-year-old son, who's in charge of tomorrow's dinner. So that's my win. Um, Oh, my gosh. What time am I coming over, Kate? It was delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's your win for today? Well, my win is the kids and I have implemented a new nightly ritual. Instead of winding down with our tablets, we're going to be enjoying some reading together just as a way to get some cuddles in before bed. And we just started the fourth Harry Potter book. All right. All right. Well, my win is that my daughter started her first day of college today on campus. Yay! (laughs) So excited for her. Doing her freshman year of college in her bedroom was tough last year doing COVID. So um, she's excited about today. She's a sophomore, but she feels like a freshman. Oh, and that was my first grade uh, student. So all of her success is due to her primary educator. (laughs) You know what? That's my win. My win is Ivy's win. It's the same. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. My win is that I am not going to compare myself to you fabulous women and mothers. And I'm going to uh, go enjoy my family and know that I am doing the best that I can every day. And that's another episode of CNUSD Ed Chat. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review. And don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues that they can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NUSD Ed Chat is produced by Kim Kemmer, Kate Jackson, Dr. Ivy Yule Eldridge, and me, Anne-Marie Cortez, and is edited by the fabulous Ken Pucci. We'll see you next time. See you next time. <laughs>